This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 29 and 30 from A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. And now chapter 29, The Smallpox Hut. When we arrived at that hut at mid-afternoon, we saw no signs of life about it. The field nearby had been denuded of its crop some time before and had a skimmed look, so exhaustively had it been harvested and gleaned. Fences, sheds, everything had a ruined look, and were eloquent of poverty. No animal was around anywhere, no living thing in sight. The stillness was awful. It was like the stillness of death. The cabin was a one-story one, whose thatch was black with age and ragged from lack of repair. The door stood a trifle ajar. We approached it stealthily, "'on tiptoe, and at half-breath, "'for that is the way one's feeling makes him do at such a time. "'The king knocked. "'We waited. "'No answer. "'Knocked again. "'No answer. "'I pushed the door softly open and looked in. "'I made out some dim forms, "'and a woman started up from the ground and stared at me, "'as one does who is wakened from sleep. "'Presently she found her voice. "'Have mercy!' she pleaded. "'All is taken!' "'Nothing is left. "'I have not come to take anything, poor woman. "'You are not a priest?' "'No. "'Nor come not from the lord of the manor? "'No, I am a stranger. "'Oh, then, for the fear of God, "'who visits with misery and death such as be harmless, "'tarry not here, but fly. "'This place is under his curse and his churches. "'Let me come in and help you.' "'You are sick and in trouble.' "'I was better used to the dim light now. "'I could see her hollow eyes fixed upon me. "'I could see how emaciated she was. "'I tell you, the place is under the church's ban. "'Save yourself and go "'before some straggler see thee here and report it. "'Give yourself no trouble about me. "'I don't care anything for the church's curse. "'Let me help you.' Now, all good spirits, if there be any such, bless thee for that word. Would God I had a sup of water. But hold, hold, forget I said it, and fly. For there is that here that even he that feareth not the church must fear, this disease whereof we die. Leave us, thou brave, good stranger, and take with thee such whole and sincere blessing as them that be accursed can give. But before this I had picked up a wooden bowl, "'and was rushing past the king on my way to the brook. "'It was ten yards away. "'When I got back and entered, the king was within, "'and was opening the shutter that closed the window-hole "'to let in air and light. "'The place was full of a foul stench. "'I put the bowl to the woman's lips, 
and as she gripped it with her eager talons, the shutter came open and a strong light flooded her face. Smallpox! I sprang to the king and said in his ear, Out of the door, on the instant, sire. The woman is dying of that disease that wasted the skirts of Camelot two years ago. But he didn't budge. Of a truth, I shall remain, and likewise help. I whispered again, King, it must not be. You've got to go. Ye mean well, and ye speak not unwisely. But it were shame that a king should know fear, and shame that belted knight should withhold his hand where be such as need secure. Peace! I will not go. It is you who must go. The church's ban is not upon me, but it forbiddeth you to be here, and she will deal with you with a heavy hand and word come to her of your trespass. It was a desperate place for him to be in, and might cost him his life, but it was no use to argue with him. If he considered his knightly honor at stake here, that was the end of the argument. He would stay, and nothing could prevent it. I was aware of that, and so I dropped the subject. The woman spoke. Fair sir, of your kindness, will ye climb the ladder there, and bring me news of what ye find? Be not afraid to report, for times can come when even a mother's heart is past breaking, being already broke. Abide, said the king, and give the woman to eat. I will go. And he put down the knapsack. I turned to start, but the king had already started. He halted and looked down upon a man who lay in a dim light and had not noticed us thus far, or spoken. Is that your husband? the king asked. Yes. Is he asleep? God be thanked for that one charity, yes, these three hours. Where shall I pay to the full my gratitude? For my heart is bursting with it for that sleep he sleepeth now. I said, we will be careful. We will not wake him. No, that you will not, for he is dead. Dead? Yes, what triumph it is to know it. None can harm him, none insult him more. He is in heaven now, and happy, or if not there, he bides in hell and is content, for in that place he will find neither abbot nor yet bishop. We were boy and girl together. We were man and wife these five and twenty years, and never separated till this day. Think how long that is to love and suffer together. This morning was he out of his mind, and in his fancy we were boy and girl again, and wandering in the happy fields, and so in that innocent glad converse wandered he far and farther, still lightly gossiping, and entered into those other fields we know not of, and was shut away from mortal sight. And so there was no parting, for in his fancy I went with him. He knew not, but I went with him, my hand in his, my young, soft hand, not this withered claw. Ah, yes, to go, and know it not, to separate, and know it not. How could one go peace fuller than that? It was his reward for a cruel life patiently borne. There was a slight noise from the direction of the dim corner where the ladder was. It was the king descending. I could see that he was bearing something in one arm and assisting himself with the other. He came forward into the light. Upon his breast lay a slender girl of fifteen. She was but half conscious. She was dying of smallpox. Here was heroism at its last and loftiest possibility, its utmost summit. 
This was challenging death in the open field unarmed, with all the odds against the challenger. No reward set upon the contest, and no admiring world in silks and cloth of gold to gaze and applaud. And yet the king's bearing was as serenely brave as it had always been in those cheaper contests where knight meets knight in equal fight and clothed in protecting steel. He was great now, sublimely great. The rude statues of his ancestors in his palace should have an addition. I would see to that, and it would not be a mailed king killing a giant or a dragon like the rest. It would be a king in commoner's garb bearing death in his arms that a peasant mother might look her last upon her child and be comforted. He laid the girl down by her mother, who poured out endearments and caresses from an overflowing heart, and one could detect a flickering faint light of response in the child's eyes, but that was all. The mother hung over her, kissing her, petting her, and imploring her to speak, but the lips only moved, and no sound came. I snatched my liquor flask from my knapsack, but the woman forbade me and said, No, she does not suffer. It is better so. It might bring her back to life. None that be so good and kind as ye are would do her that cruel hurt. For look you, what is left to live for? Her brothers are gone, her father is gone, her mother goeth. The church's curses upon her and none may shelter or befriend her, even though she lay perishing in the road. She is desolate. I have not asked you, good heart, if her sister be still on live, here overhead. I had no need. Ye had gone back, else, and not left the poor thing forsaken. She lieth at peace, interrupted the king in a subdued voice. I would not change it. How rich is this day in happiness! Ah, my Annas, thou shalt join thy sister soon. Thou art on thy way, and these be merciful friends that will not hinder. And so she fell to murmuring and cooing over the girl again, and softly stroking her face and hair, and kissing her and calling her by endearing names. But there was scarcely sign of response now in the glazing eyes. I saw tears well from the king's eyes and trickle down his face. The woman noticed them, too, and said, "'Ah, I know that sign. Thou a wife at home, poor soul, and you and she have gone hungry to bed, many's the time, that the little ones might have your crust. You know what poverty is, and the daily insults of your betters, and the heavy hand of the church and the king.' The king winced under this accidental home shot, but kept still. He was learning his part and he was playing it well, too, for a pretty dull beginner. I struck up a diversion. I offered the woman food and liquor, but she refused both. She would allow nothing to come between her and the release of death. Then I slipped away and brought the dead child from aloft, and laid it by her. This broke her down again, and there was another scene that was full of heartbreak. By and by I made another diversion, and beguiled her to sketch her story. Ye know it well yourselves, having suffered it, for truly none of our condition in Britain escape it. It is the old, weary tale. We fought and struggled and succeeded, meaning by success that we lived and did not die. More than that is not to be claimed. 
No troubles came that we could not outlive, till this year brought them. Then came they all at once, as one might say, and overwhelmed us. Years ago the lord of the manor planted certain fruit trees on our farm, in the best part of it, too. A grievous wrong and shame. But it was his right, interrupted the king. None denieth that, indeed, and the law mean anything. What is the lord's is his, and what is mine is his also. Our farm was ours by lease, therefore twas likewise his, to do with as he would. Some little time ago, three of those trees were found hewn down. Our three grown sons ran frightened to report the crime. Well, in his lordship's dungeon there they lie, who saith there shall they lie, and rot till they confess. They had not to confess, being innocent. Wherefore will they remain until they die? Ye know that right well, I ween. Think how this left us, a man, a woman, and two children, to gather a crop that was planted by so much greater force, yes, and protect it night and day from pigeons and prowling animals that be sacred and must not be hurt by any of our sort. When my lord's crop was nearly ready for the harvest, so also was ours. When his bell rang to call us to his fields to harvest his crop for nothing, he would not allow that I and my two girls should count for our three captive sons, but for only two of them. So, for the lacking one, we were daily fined. All this time, our own crop was perishing through neglect, and so both the priest and his lordship fined us because their shares of it were suffering through damage. In the end, the fines ate up our crop, and they took it all. They took it all, and made us harvest it for them, without pay or food, and we starving. Then the worst came when I, being out of my mind with hunger and loss of my boys, and grief to see my husband and my little maids in rags and misery and despair, uttered a deep blasphemy. Oh, a thousand of them, against the church and the church's ways. It was ten days ago. I had fallen sick with this disease, and it was to the priest I said the words, for he was come to chide me for lack of due humility under the chastening hand of God. He carried my trespass to his betters. I was stubborn, wherefore, presently upon my head and upon all heads that were dear to me, felt the curse of Rome. Since that day we are avoided, shunned with horror. None has come near this hut to know whether we live or not. The rest of us were taken down. Then I roused me and got up, as wife and mother will. It was little they could have eaten in any case. It was less than little they had to eat. But there was water, and I gave them that. How they craved it, and how they blessed it. But the end came yesterday. My strength broke down. Yesterday was the last time I ever saw my husband and this youngest child alive. I have lain here all these hours, these ages, you may say, listening, listening for any sound up there that... She gave a sharp, quick glance at her eldest daughter and then cried out and feebly gathered the stiffening form to her sheltering arms. She had recognized the death rattle. 
We'll return with Chapter 30 right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 30, The Tragedy of the Manor House. At midnight, all was over, and we sat in the presence of four corpses. We covered them with such rags as we could find, and started away, fastening the door behind us. Their home must be these people's grave, for they could not have Christian burial, or be admitted to consecrated ground. They were as dogs, wild beasts, lepers, and no soul that valued its hope of eternal life would throw it away by meddling in any sort with these rebuked and smitten outcasts. We had not moved four steps when I caught a sound as of footsteps upon gravel. My heart flew to my throat. We must not be seen coming from that house. I plucked at the king's robe, and we drew back and took shelter behind the corner of the cabin. "'Now we are safe,' I said. But it was a close call, so to speak. If the night had been lighter, he might have seen us. No doubt. He seemed to be so near.' Mayhap it is but a beast, and not a man at all. True, but man or beast, it will be wise to stay here a minute, and let it get by, and out of the way. Hark, it cometh hither. True again. The step was coming toward us, straight toward the hut. It must be a beast, then, and we might as well have saved our trepidation. I was going to step out, but the king laid his hand upon my arm. There was a moment of silence. Then we heard a soft knock on the cabin door. It made me shiver. Presently the knock was repeated, and then we heard these words in a guarded voice. Mother, father, open. We've got free, and we bring news to pale your cheeks but glad your hearts. And we may not tarry, but must fly. But they answer not. Mother, father. I drew the king toward the other end of the hut and whispered, "'Come, now we can get to the road.' The king hesitated, was going to demur, but just then we heard the door give way and knew that those desolate men were in the presence of their dead. "'Come, my liege, in a moment they will strike a light, and then will follow that which you would break your heart to hear.' He did not hesitate this time. The moment we were in the road I ran— and after a moment he threw dignity aside and followed. I did not want to think of what was happening in that hut. I couldn't bear it. I wanted to drive it out of my mind, so I struck into the first subject that lay under that one in my mind. I have had the disease those people died of, and so have nothing to fear. But if you have not had it also... He broke in upon me to say he was in trouble, and it was his conscience that was troubling him. "'These young men have got free,' they say. "'But how? "'It is not likely that their lord has set them free.' "'Oh, no, I make no doubt they escaped. "'That is my trouble. "'I have a fear that this is so, "'and your suspicion doth confirm it, "'you having the same fear.' "'I should not call it by that name, though. "'I do suspect that they escaped, "'but if they did, I am not sorry. "'Certainly.' "'I am not sorry, I think.' "'What? What is there for one to be troubled about? "'If they did escape, then we are bound in duty to lay hands upon them "'and deliver them again to their lord, "'for it is not seemly that one of his quality "'should suffer a so insolent and high-handed outrage "'for persons of their base degree.' 
There it was again. He could see only one side of it. He was born so, educated so. His veins were full of ancestral blood that was rotten with this sort of unconscious brutality, brought down by inheritance from a long procession of hearts that had each done its share toward poisoning the stream. To imprison these men without proof and starve their kindred was no harm, for they were merely peasants and subject to the will and pleasure of their lord, no matter what fearful form it might take. But for these men to break out of unjust captivity was insult and outrage, and a thing not to be countenanced by any conscientious person who knew his duty to his sacred castle. I worked more than half an hour before I got him to change the subject, and even then an outside matter did it for me. There was a something which caught our eyes as we struck the summit of a small hill, a red glow a good way off. "'That's a fire,' said I. "'Fires interested me considerably, "'because I was getting a good deal of an insurance business started, "'and was also training some horses "'and building some steam fire engines, "'with an eye to a paid fire department by and by. "'The priests opposed both my fire and life insurance, "'on the ground that it was an insolent attempt "'to hinder the decrees of God, "'and if you pointed out that they did not hinder the decrees in the least, "'but only modified the hard consequences of them, "'if you took out policies and had luck. "'They retorted that that was gambling against the decrees of God, "'and was just as bad. "'So they managed to damage those industries, more or less, "'but I got even on my accident business. "'As a rule, a knight is a lummox, "'and sometimes even a labrick, "'and hence opened to pretty poor arguments "'when they came glibly from a superstition monger. "'But even he could see the practical side of a thing once in a while.' "'and so of late you couldn't clean up a tournament "'and ply the result without finding one of my accident tickets "'in every helmet. "'We stood there a while, in the thick darkness and stillness, "'looking toward the red blur in the distance, "'and trying to make out the meaning of a faraway murmur "'that rose and fell fitfully on the night. "'Sometimes it swelled up, and for a moment seemed less remote. "'But when we were hopefully expecting it to betray its cause and nature, "'it dulled and sank again.' "'carrying its mystery with it. "'We started down the hill in its direction, "'and the winding road plunged us at once "'into almost solid darkness. "'Darkness that was packed and crammed "'in between two tall forest walls. "'We groped along down for half a mile, perhaps, "'that murmur growing more and more distinct all the time, "'the coming storm threatening more and more, "'with now and then a little shiver of wind.' a faint show of lightning, and dull grumblings of distant thunder. I was in the lead. I ran against something, a soft, heavy something, which gave, slightly, to the impulse of my weight. At the same moment, the lightning glared out, and within a foot of my face was the writhing face of a man who was hanging from the limb of a tree. That is, it seemed to be writhing, but it was not. It was a gruesome sight, Straightway there was an ear-splitting explosion of thunder, and the bottom of heaven fell out. The rain poured down in a deluge. No matter, we must try to cut this man down, on the chance that there might be life in him yet, mustn't we? The lightning came quick and sharp now, and the place was alternately noonday and midnight. One moment the man would be hanging before me in an intense light, and the next he was blotted out again in the darkness. I told the king— "'We must cut him down. 
the king at once objected. "'If he hanged himself, he was willing to lose him property to his lord. "'So let him be. "'If others hanged him, be like they had the right. "'Let him hang. "'But, but me no buts, but even leave him as he is. "'And for yet another reason, when the lightning cometh again, "'there, look abroad. Two others hanging within fifty yards of us. It is not weather meet for doing useless courtesies unto dead folk. They're past thanking you. Come, it is unprofitable to tarry here. There was reason in what he said, so he moved on. Within the next mile, we counted six more hanging forms by the blaze of the lightning, and altogether it was a grisly excursion. That murmur was a murmur no longer. It was a roar, a roar of men's voices. A man came plying by now, dimly through the darkness, and other men chasing him. They disappeared. Presently another case of the kind occurred, and then another, and another. Then a sudden turn of the road brought us in sight of that fire. It was a large manor house, and little or nothing was left of it, and everywhere men were flying and other men raging after them in pursuit. I warned the king that this was not a safe place for strangers. We would better get away from the light, "'until matters should improve. "'We stepped back a little "'and hid in the edge of the wood. "'From this hiding place "'we saw both men and women "'hunted by the mob. "'The fearful work went on "'until nearly dawn. "'Then, the fire being out "'and the storm spent, "'the voices and flying footsteps "'presently ceased, "'and darkness and stillness reigned again. "'Then we ventured out "'and hurried cautiously away.' "'and although we were worn out and sleepy, "'we kept on until we had put this place "'some miles behind us. "'Then we asked hospitality "'at the hut of a charcoal burner "'and got what was to be had. "'A woman was up and about, "'but the man was still asleep "'on a straw shakedown on the clay floor. "'The woman seemed uneasy "'until I explained that we were travelers "'and had lost our way "'and been wandering in the woods all night. "'She then became talkative.' "'and asked if we had heard of the terrible goings-ons "'at the, the manor-house of Ablasor. "'Yes, we had heard of them, "'but what we wanted now was rest and sleep. "'The king broke in. "'Sell us the house, and take yourselves away, "'for we be perilous company, "'being late come from people that died of the spot of death. "'It was good of him, but unnecessary. "'One of the commonest decorations of the nation "'was the waffle-iron face.' I had early noticed that the woman and her husband were both so decorated. She made us entirely welcome, and had no fears, and plainly she was immensely impressed by the king's proposition, for, of course, it was a good deal of an event in her life to run across a person of the king's humble appearance who was ready to buy a man's house for the sake of a night's lodging. It gave her a large respect for us, and she strained the lean possibilities of her hovel to the utmost to make us comfortable." We slept till far into the afternoon, and then got up hungry enough to make cutter fare quite palatable to the king, the more particularly as it was scant in quantity. And also in variety, it consisted solely of onions, salt, and the national black bread made out of horse feed. The woman told us about the affair of the evening before. At ten or eleven at night, when everybody was in bed, the manor house burst into flames. The countryside swarmed to the rescue. "'and the family were saved, with one exception, the master. 
he did not appear. Everybody was frantic over this loss, and two brave yeomen sacrificed their lives in ransacking the burning house, seeking that valuable personage. But after a while he was found what was left of him, which was his corpse. It was in a copse three hundred yards away, bound, gagged, stabbed in a dozen places. Who had done this? Suspicion fell upon a humble family in the neighborhood who had been lately treated with particular harshness by the baron. And from these people, the suspicion easily extended itself to their relatives and familiars. A suspicion was enough. My lord's liveried retainers proclaimed an instant crusade against these people and were promptly joined by the community in general. The woman's husband had been active with the mob and had not returned home until nearly dawn. He was gone now to find out what the general result had been. While we were still talking, he came back from his quest. His report was revolting enough. Eighteen persons hanged or butchered, and two yeomen and thirteen prisoners lost in the fire. And how many prisoners were there altogether in the vaults? Thirteen. Then every one of them was lost? Yes, all. But the people arrived in time to save the family. How is it they could save none of the prisoners? The man looked puzzled and said, "'Would one unlock the vaults at such a time? "'Mary! Some might have escaped.' "'Then you mean nobody unlocked them?' "'No, none went near them, either to lock or unlock. "'It standeth to reason that the bolts were fast. "'Wherefore it was only needful to establish a watch, "'so that if any broke the bonds he might not escape, but be taken. "'None were taken.' "'Nonetheless, three did escape,' said the king.' "'and ye will do well to publish it "'and set justice upon their track, "'for these murthered the baron "'and fired the house.' "'I was just expecting he would come out with that. "'For a moment the man and his wife "'showed an eager interest in this news "'and an impatience to go out and spread it. "'Then a sudden something else "'betrayed itself in their faces, "'and they began to ask questions. "'I answered the questions myself "'and narrowly watched the effects produced. "'I was soon satisfied,' "'that the knowledge of who these three prisoners were "'had somehow changed the atmosphere, "'that our host's continued eagerness "'to go and spread the news "'was now only pretended and not real. "'The king did not notice the change, "'and I was glad of that. "'I worked the conversation around "'toward other details of the night's proceedings "'and noted that these people were relieved "'to have it take that direction. "'The painful thing observable about all this business was the alacrity with which this oppressed community had turned their cruel hands against their own class in the interest of the common oppressor. This man and woman seemed to feel that in the quarrel between a person of their own class and his lord, it was the natural and proper and rightful thing for that poor devil's whole caste to side with the master and fight his battle for him, without ever stopping to inquire into the rights or wrongs of the matter. This man had been out helping to hang his neighbors, and had done his work with zeal, and yet was aware that there was nothing against them but a mere suspicion, with nothing back of it describable as evidence. Still neither he nor his wife seemed to see anything horrible about it. This was depressing, to a man with a dream of a republic in his head. It reminded me of a time thirteen centuries away, when the poor whites of our South, who were always despised and frequently insulted by the slave lords around them, and who owed their base condition simply to the presence of slavery in their midst, 
were yet pusillanimously ready to side with the slave lords in all political moves for the upholding and perpetuating of slavery, and did also finally shoulder their muskets and pour out their lives in an effort to prevent the destruction of that very institution which degraded them. And there was only one redeeming feature connected with that pitiful piece of history, and that was that secretly the poor white did detest the slave lord and did feel his own shame. That feeling was not brought to the surface, but the fact that it was there and could have been brought out under favoring circumstances was something. In fact, it was enough, for it showed that a man is at bottom a man, after all, even if it doesn't show on the outside. Well, as it turned out, this charcoal burner was just the twin of the southern poor white of the far future. The king presently showed impatience and said, "'And ye prattle here all the day, just as will miscarry. Think ye the criminals will abide in their father's house? They're fleeing. They're not waiting. You should look to it that a party of horse be set upon their track.' The woman paled slightly, but quite perceptibly, and the man looked flustered and irresolute. I said, "'Come, friend, I will walk a little way with you, and explain which direction I think they would try to take. If they were merely resistors of the gabelle, or some kindred absurdity, I would try to protect them from capture. But when men murder a person of high degree, and likewise burn his house, that's another matter.' The last remark was for the king, to quiet him. On the road the man pulled his resolution together, and began the march with a steady gait, "'but there was no eagerness in it. "'By and by I said, "'What relation were these men to you, cousins?' "'He turned as white as his layer of charcoal would let him, "'and stopped, trembling. "'Ah, my God! How know you that?' "'I didn't know it. It was a chance guess. "'Poor lads, they're lost, and good lands they were, too. "'Were you actually going yonder to tell on them?' He didn't quite know how to take that, but he said, hesitatingly, Yes. Then I think you're a damned scoundrel. It made him as glad as if I'd called him an angel. Say the good words again, brother, for surely ye mean that you would not betray me, and I failed of my duty. Duty? There's no duty in the matter, except the duty to keep still and let those men get away. They've done a righteous deed. He looked pleased. "'pleased, and touched with apprehension at the same time. "'He looked up and down the road to see that no one was coming, "'that the king was far out of sight, "'and then said in a cautious voice, "'From what land come you, brother, "'that you speak such perilous words, "'and seem not to be afraid?' "'They are not perilous words when spoken to one of my own caste, "'I take it. "'You would not tell anybody I said them? "'I?' "'I'd be drawn asunder by wild horses first. "'Well, then, let me say my say. "'I have no fears of your repeating it. "'I think devil's work has been done last night "'upon those innocent, poor people. "'That old baron got only what he deserved. "'If I had my way, all his kind should have the same luck.' "'Fear and depression vanished from the man's manner, "'and gratefulness and a brave animation took their place. "'Even though you be a spy,' "'and your words a trap for my undoing,' he said. "'Yet are they such refreshment that to hear them again, "'and others like to them. "'I would go to the gallows happy, "'as having one good feast at least in a starved life, 
"'and I will say my say now, "'and ye may report it if ye be so minded. "'I helped to hang my neighbors, "'for that it were peril to my own life "'to show lack of zeal in the master's cause. "'The others helped for none other reason. "'All rejoice today that he is dead, "'but all do go about seemingly sorrowing "'and shedding the hypocrite's tear, "'for in that lies safety. "'I have said the words. "'The only ones that have ever tasted good in my mouth.' "'and the reward of that taste is sufficient. "'Lead on, and ye will, "'be it even to the scaffold, "'for I am ready.' "'And there it was, you see. "'A man is a man, at bottom. "'Whole ages of abuse and oppression "'cannot crush the manhood clear out of him. "'Whoever thinks it's a mistake "'is himself mistaken. "'Yes, there's plenty good enough material "'for a republic "'in the most degraded people that ever existed.' Even the Russians, plenty of manhood in them. Even in the Germans, if one could but force it out of its timid and suspicious privacy, to overthrow and trample in the mud any throne that was ever set up and any nobility that ever supported it. We should see certain things yet. Let us hope and believe. First, a modified monarchy, till Arthur's days were done. Then the destruction of the throne, nobility abolished, every member of it bound out to the same useful trade, universal suffrage instituted, and the whole government placed in the hands of the men and women of the nation there to remain. Yes, there was no occasion to give up my dream for a while. Thanks for joining us for chapters 29 and 30 of A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Pretty powerful stuff from Mark Twain. Join us next week, Sunday night, at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Between now and then, if you enjoy our story, it helps new listeners find us, and we appreciate reviews very, very much. This is 1001 Stories for the Road. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Everyone stay safe out there, and we'll be back soon.